Welcome to Bed Crime Stories Podcast. I'm your host, T. What's up, everybody? Hope you're having a great day. Small request, if after listening to or watching the video, you find you enjoyed it or learned something, do me a favor, smash that like button and subscribe to the channel. Now, let's dig in. Dennis Rader's daughter, Carrie Rawson, has been in high demand for a long time now on the true crime circuit. Unfortunately, Carrie had the traumatic experience of finding out at age 26 from an FBI agent who showed up at her door out of the blue one day to say that her dad was serial killer BTK. Carrie, along with the daughter of the Happy Face serialist, Keith Jesperson, her name is Melissa Moore, well, they're the only children of such criminals who are currently speaking out about their experiences. And that's because it's a thankless role, as it continually stirs up their own trauma. People accuse them of seeking 15 minutes of fame through their father's unspeakable crimes. Some continue to insist that they and their mothers had to have known their dads were doing these horrible things. And some unfairly expect them to answer for their father's crimes. Carrie was on Surviving the Survivor recently to answer questions about what the family of accused serial killer Rex Huerman may be going through right now, what advice she has for them, and what other people can do to make their journey through this nightmare less damaging. Carrie's advice comes at a good time, as it's come out today in the news that Hewerman's wife, Asa Ellerup, no longer feels okay walking down her street in Massapequa Park. Ellerup said through tears to the New York Post, quote, Look, I don't want to walk down the street. I heard what people said about us. I heard it. I heard the other people in the neighborhood. They want the house bulldozed. Do you understand? Please, I can't talk anymore. End quote. Carrie's sage advice is this. One, Asa and her two adult children should immediately seek trauma therapy. And I'm going to say that I agree because they are all clearly suffering. And by the looks of things, they haven't been treated very well by law enforcement who dumped the horrendous news on them on July 13th, immediately removed them from their home, and then proceeded to tear up their home inside and out looking for evidence. The three of them have been on a roller coaster ride from hell ever since. None of us can imagine what that's like. Carrie also said the family should not be staying in that house as it is a crime scene. Victims may have died there, and looking at the condition of it, it does seem seem unsuitable for habitation. To quickly get them the monies needed for the move, the city needs to purchase the house immediately and then tear it down for everyone's sake. 
But again, before that can happen, Ellerup and her kids need a home to call their own in a place that they want to be. Wichita bought the Raider family home, and Carrie's mom never spent one more night in it after hearing about her husband's crimes. The third thing Carrie said was that everyone needs to stop expecting Asa Ellerup and her kids to answer for her husband's crimes. Ellerup said she was blindsided by the news, as was Carrie's mother Paula when she found out they're not the ones who committed the crimes. They say they didn't know about the crimes, and we need to respect that. So that means the news crews and photographers need to stop hanging out at their home and snapping photos of them as if they're zoo animals. Four, there needs to be someone who can guide the family through this confusing situation. Not just a lawyer, but also victim advocates who understand Ellerup and her children should also have someone else go into that house and gather their things for them. To do that labor themselves risks more trauma. The sooner the family gets help, the better for their recovery. According to Carrie's first therapist, who treated her for five months in 2007, many factors determine how well people recover. The therapist said, quote, it's about the severity of the trauma and how long it goes on, but it also depends on the coping mechanisms the victims have, their support system, who they have around them, end quote. From the outside looking in, it doesn't seem like Ellerup and her kids have any support system aside maybe from her elderly father and her lawyer. The only other person stepping up is Melissa Moore. He launched that GoFundMe campaign for 59-year-old Asa Ellerup five days ago. So far, the campaign has raised $24,609. I'll leave a link to it in the description. Also on the Surviving the Survivor show were Dr. Ann Burgess, who's worked with the FBI Academy Special Agents, to study serial offenders, Laura Richards, who worked for a decade analyzing violent crime at the New Scotland Yard, and a man named Mark S., who I believe was part of the FBI's Behavioral Analysis Unit. Unfortunately, that particular show did not share his details in the description. I want to share key details from the discussion, which was about whether or not Rex Hewerman could have harmed more victims. All of the experts said that if he is guilty of these crimes, then he didn't start offending at age 46, which is the age he was in 2010. The three Gilgo Beach victims who he's accused of harming all died between 2000 2009 and 2010. The fourth victim, who Hewerman is suspected of harming, Marine Brainerd Barnes, went missing in 2007. Burgess said that investigators need to go back to Rex Hewerman's adolescence and that it's very likely he began committing crimes 10 to 15 years before the Gilgo Beach crimes. Burgess mentioned that these offenders often 
experience early onset interest in dark fantasies. They may engage in gateway behaviors such as window peeping, prowling, essaying a sibling in their own family and home, or females in the neighborhood, and then they go on to stalking. It's usually only after all of these that someone like Hewerman would escalate to murder. And some of these people after that escalated further to dismemberment. Thanks to Hewerman living in that same Massapequa Park neighborhood his entire life and the fact that he physically stands out because of his height of six feet four inches and his hulking girth, if there are any female victims who survived being essayed, stalked, or something else, they should be able to recognize him as their offender even if the crime took place years ago. The discussion on the show also turned to coercive control. Those were the words used to describe Rex Hewerman. We know from how the Gilgo Beach victim's remains were found that the perpetrator sought total control over them. The experts said that this may point to Rex Hewerman not feeling powerful about himself deep down inside. According to Hewerman, bail document, victim Maureen Brainerd Barnes, who was the first of the Gilgo Four to vanish in 2007, she was restrained by three leather belts, one of which was used to tie her feet, ankles, and her legs together. It was with Brainerd Barnes that the belt with the initials WH was found. Perhaps that's why Hewerman switched from belts to clear or white duct tape when he allegedly did in his next victim, Melissa Bartholomew, Megan Waterman, and Amber Costello. Maybe he wanted to avoid leaving evidence like family initials on a belt at the crime scene. Of course, he clearly didn't realize that he'd left one of his wife's hairs on Brainerd Barnes, two of his wife's hairs on Waterman, and another one on Costello. Now, some of these hairs were stuck to the either transparent or white duct tape that was wrapped around their bodies. The experts said that Hewerman's need to control his victims likely was also exerted on his family. That could have been economic emotionally, or otherwise. I think this may explain why Ellerup was using food stamps to buy the family's groceries, why the house is so dilapidated. She likely didn't have much say about these things. I could be wrong, but we know he spent significant money on weapons, on that big walk-in vault, on escorts, on land in South Carolina, and a timeshare in Las Vegas. The experts agreed that if Hewerman were anything like Dennis Rader, then at times his family would have had to walk on eggshells around him. Rader had an explosive temper that once came out when his family was going through a great deal of stress. They'd all sat down to dinner for some homemade manicotti that Carrie's mother had prepared, and apparently Carrie's brother slammed his fists on the table, maybe for some playful reason, but the table went crashing down along with the Manicotti. Raider was so livid that he got up and he put his hands around his son's neck. 
Thankfully, he stopped before causing permanent harm. Normally, Raider was very good at what he called cubing, which means only showing the side of him in the environment that he was in. So if he was offending and harming people, he showed that side of himself. But if he was in family man mode or church leader mode, that was the side of the cube he showed to people. But I guess in stressful situations, he occasionally allowed glimpses of those other parts. I have to believe Hewerman, too, showed flashes of his violence from time to time with the family. Of course, they would have never jumped to the conclusion from any of that that he was doing in young women. They might instead have just thought, well, he's got a bad temper. Maybe he had a hard childhood. We have to find ways to deal with it, to get around his temper, to cope with it, to de-escalate it. The panel on the show were also in agreement that it's very likely there are other victims out there. One of them might be a lady named Carmen Vargas from East Harlem. Her body was found dumped on the side of the Meadowbrook Parkway in the summer of 1989. That location is roughly eight miles from where Rex Hewerman grew up, and where he was living when he was arrested. Vargas's niece, Felicita Figueroa, recently spoke to PIX 11 News to share her aunt's story. Figueroa said, quote, There are too many similarities. She was really little. She walked the streets, end quote. Figueroa said she was the last person to see her aunt alive back in 1989 after an evening at the Central Park Pool. Her aunt walked her back to the family's apartment building located at 106th Street and Lexington Avenue in East Harlem before telling Figueroa to go upstairs. Figueroa stated, She got into a dark car, I was only like 12 years old, so I really couldn't see, but I could tell it was a white man with glasses, end quote. Note that Rex Hewerman would have been 25 years old in 1989. Then, on September 11th, 1989, an unidentified woman was discovered dead on the side of Meadowbrook Parkway. The victim wasn't identified for three years. After the family saw a Crime Stoppers report in 1992, they called the Nassau County detectives who came to their home to see another relative. That other relative had the dental records for Carmen, and it turned out the body was Carmen's. The detective showed Figueroa a photo of her aunt's skull, which was missing some teeth. When she asked the detective what was with that, he said, Whatever happened that night, she fought because three of her teeth were knocked out. Figueroa also said that a portion of her aunt's hyoid bone was missing in her neck. You may recall that a part of Shannon Gilbert's hyoid bone was also missing when her remains were found in 2011 on Oak Beach, which is adjacent to Gilgo Beach. Gilbert was among the seven other sets of remains found along Ocean Parkway in Long Island after the Gilgo Beach Four were discovered. Apparently in 1993, when another Long Island serial killer, how many do they have, Joel Rifkin was arrested, the detectives pumped him for information about Carmen's death. 
but Rifkin, who confessed to doing in 17 women, would not take responsibility for Vargas's death. He was adamant that she was not among his victims. Apparently, where Carmen Vargas was in Freeport is a place that Rex Heuerman had ties to in the 1980s. Also, the Meadowbrook Parkway, where Carmen Vargas's body was dumped, also leads to Jones Beach, where Heuerman had a job for several years as a seasonal worker in the 1980s. So far, the Nassau police are not saying if they believe Vargas's death could be tied to Rex Heuerman. We'll all have to wait and watch. That's all for today. Thank you again for the privilege of your time. I'll see you next time on Bed Crime Stories. Did you enjoy this? If so, smash the like button, subscribe to the channel, leave me a comment. I read them all, and I'll see you next time.